afternoon once again, family. Uh, as I've mentioned already, it's a joy to, to be before you all this afternoon to, yeah, to proclaim God's word. And so if you have a Bible, let me go ahead and get you to turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And if you need a Bible, uh, we have some Bibles in the back. If you, if you need a Bible, um, you can grab one of those or even grab one of these over here uh, to use during this time. But the ones that's in the back, uh, you can take those. Uh, they are for you. Uh, it's a gift from us as a church. And so Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, reads as follows. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. Amen? God's word. God's word. So if I were to summarize this passage, if I was to summarize this passage, it may go something like this and this pop up on the screen uh, if you want to take notes. But I, I may summarize it like this. Jesus begins his ministry by preaching the gospel and calling people to follow him. So we see laid out in this passage, right, that Jesus begins his ministry by preaching. Right? You see him proclaiming, preaching the gospel and then calling the first disciples, to follow him. Two points to help us guide our time or guide us through this time. Point number one, Jesus begins his ministry. So we see that in verses 14 through 15 and some subpoints from there that we'll walk through. But then point number two, Jesus calls the disciples. We'll see that in verses 16 through 20. Point number one, Jesus begins his ministry. Point number two, Jesus calls the disciples. So let's begin with point number one. Jesus begins his ministry. Look back with me at verse 14. As it reads, it says, now after John was arrested. I'm going to stop right there. So John was arrested. So this is John the Baptist uh, that we are talking about. You remember in our time studying over these last few weeks uh, that John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord Jesus. Right? He is the forerunner. He is uh, who the Old Testament prophets prophesied about that would come before Christ to prepare his way. So his ministry, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, was popping. It was popping off uh, because he was faithfully preaching that folk needed to repent of their sins and be baptized. I don't know if that's as popular today, but we see it in, in John's ministry and in faithful preachers all throughout the world that I know and that we know who are preaching. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. But his ministry was popping and he was calling people to repent and be baptized. And then not only that, but he was humbly telling everyone that he was not the one. He was not the one. 
But the one who he came to prepare the way for, Jesus, was coming. And Jesus was coming as John the Baptist. He was, you know, baptizing those folks in water. But he said the one would come and he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he was humbly telling folks, I, John, am not the one. But I am pointing you to the one. And he is coming. So in doing so, in, in doing so, in faithfully preaching and baptizing, John was arrested. He was arrested. Now, when we think about American Christianity, uh, we don't really experience that over here like that, right? Like, not necessarily getting arrested, not saying it can't happen, not saying it won't happen or can't happen, uh, but in biblical days and even our brothers and sisters overseas in unreached areas being arrested for the sake of the gospel, right? Uh, they may get arrested for, for sharing the truth of God's word. They don't have the freedoms like we do over here, right? Like reading our Bibles in public, right? Or, or gathering like this on a Sunday afternoon, right? Without law enforcement or others seeking to persecute them for their faith. Yet, sometimes, for some of us, take it for granted we take we take we may take this or we may take other gatherings during the week or other opportunities to fellowship etc etc we might take those things for granted where our brothers and sisters overseas would, would long would love to be able to come together and worship in freedom if you will right may we not forget how blessed we are now be careful with that. I'm not saying that our persecuted brothers and sisters aren't blessed as well. I mean, Jesus clearly says that in Matthew 5.11, right? That blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Right? So I'm not saying that they're not blessed because they're suffering or that they are experiencing persecution. I'm not saying that in any way. I'm just wanting us all, myself included, to be reminded of the freedoms we have that some of our brothers and sisters across the world in areas, hard areas, unreached areas in the faith don't have the same access or opportunities that we might have. And that in light of that, we should be grateful. We should be more grateful, more encouraged, excited, grateful for these opportunities. Amen? And as John was arrested, as we continue to move on the passage, Jesus comes on the scene after his duel with the devil in the wilderness, right? We looked at that last week, right? That uh, Jesus was in the wilderness. So look back with me at verse 14 as it says, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, all right? As we talked about this last week, Galilee is, is the place where Jesus was just at before being sent by the Spirit. Remember the Spirit, if you look at Verse, uh, you know, passage up that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, and that Jesus submitted to the Spirit and obeyed Him, and went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for forty days. These were this was this was no vacation time for Jesus. This was a grueling time. This was a tough time for him. As we even talked about this last week, Jesus was, and we see this in other places of Scripture. Jesus was weak. 
He was hungry, more susceptible, uh, yeah, to, to, to fall, except he's God. And we know, as we talked about last week, that, that Jesus, him being God, he's perfect, he's sinless. And he didn't give in to the temptation that Satan was, was you know, pushing on him. Instead, as we talked about last week, he used the weapon of the word to fight in the battle, right? So we looked at that last week. But just thinking about uh, the region of Galilee, it was so despised because of its distance from Jerusalem and its infestation of Gentiles, right? But Jesus comes back there after his duel with the devil in the wilderness. He comes back to Galilee. And what what does the text tell us that he does when he touched down, when he came back? What does it tell us? It tells us that if you look down, that he proclaimed the gospel of God. He preaches the gospel. The first thing he does in his ministry, right? So he was, he was the forerunner. John prepares him for the ministry. He comes and he gets baptized by John the Baptist in preparation for ministry. But also in preparation for ministry, he was tempted by Satan, right? And then he is from there sent to preach first thing that Jesus does in his ministry is preach the good news. Look back with me. It says, proclaiming the gospel of God, verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Right, this, this right here is, is, you know, this is just the offshoot of when we think about the gospel being preached every week. Right? Like, like the first thing Jesus does in his ministry is preach the gospel. So for us as, you know, for me as a pastor, for any other pastor, for other gospel preaching, Bible-believing churches, this is why we preach the gospel every week. Because we see it, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that it is of first importance. It is of first importance. And so, yeah, you're going to hear it every week here at CACC. And hear this good news every week because we believe here as a church that it is the good news as the Bible proclaims and that it is the only message that someone can be saved by. The only message, the only hope that we have. And it is found in Jesus and found in the gospel. So four things that I want to show you from this text about the gospel that Jesus preaches. Number one, as you see in the text, verse 14, it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God. Notice in the text that, once again, first he's proclaiming, right, which means to announce officially or publicly or to share or to communicate, right? Now, this is how Jesus started off his ministry and consistently modeled in his ministry throughout. And then he calls every preacher and every Christian in general, right? So not just the preacher, not just the evangelist, but every Christian to proclaim his name, right? So it's, it's, it's not enough, family and friends, it's not enough to let your life show the gospel. It's not enough to just let your life speak the gospel or show the gospel. Now, granted, we are to do that. We are to live lives worthy of the gospel, Ephesians 4.1, Right? Live lives worthy of the calling by which you've been called. So we are to 
our lives are to match what we preach. Definitely. But just notice here, it says that he proclaimed, right? That he shared, that he communicated. This is why I love our church. This is why I love our church and I love uh, what the Lord is, is, is doing through weekly evangelism, right? You know, as the group was out even this morning, uh, proclaiming the good news of Christ, sharing the good news of Christ, right? Using coffee or using other, you know, different things that we might pass out in love to our neighbors. But these are, those are conversation starters, right? Our aim, our main aim is to share the gospel. It's our main aim in love because we, we love, at least I hope we do, we love the people that we are seeking to share the gospel with. And in that love, we share the gospel. Even with our partnership at Baloo, we desire as a church to meet urgent physical needs and love on students and families and staff in creative ways and all those different things. But, but once again, those things are only an aid in sharing the gospel. The gospel is the main aim in love. Once again, I want to be clear on that. We want to love folk. We want to share this good news in love, but these other elements and things that we're using in that way, they are to point to the ultimate aim, and that being sharing the good news of Christ. And then lastly, notice that it's, it's not our gospel. It's not our gospel that we are sharing. The text says Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of God. Isn't that freeing? I mean, just think about that for a second. That's, that's freeing. And here's why it's freeing, to know that we don't come with our own message. To know this morning when, you know, the group was out, like, you guys didn't come with your own message. You didn't come willy-nilly and make something up. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to do that. You came with the message of God, the good news of God, about God. The only message that has the power to save. The only message that has the power to deliver, to set free, to sustain, to give hope, to, to give peace. Not only is it freeing, but this also should give us confidence. It should give us confidence because we come with the truth. We come when we go, whether it's on the block, whether it's in your home, whether it's you know, in the school, wherever you're at, in work, when you go and you proclaim the gospel, you come with the truth. You come with the message of God. That, that, that should give us great confidence when we communicate it in that this comes from God, not Josh, not anybody else here, but it comes from God. And so that should give us even great confidence. No other religion on the face of the planet has what we have. Jehovah's Witnesses don't have it. Muslims don't have it. Hebrew Israelites don't have it. Like, no one else has what we have. Now, I want to be careful with that. I don't want that to turn into a way for us to boast in some way, right? Or to become prideful. But we do have the truth. So because we have the truth, May the Lord grant us grace and give us boldness to continue to proclaim his truth. 
Not in our own strength, but in the strength that God gives us. Amen? Amen. Number two, so it's the gospel of God. Number two, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. You see that in verse 15, right? So this is referring to Jesus' coming, right? This is referring to his coming. The one who John said would come in 1-7, look up at uh, 1 so chapter 1 still in the same chapter in verse 7. It says, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So, so John was telling the folks about the one who was to come, and that one did come. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so when Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, the time is fulfilled, he's talking about his coming. What was prophesied about him for him to come has been fulfilled in him, in his appearance, right? So that's number two, the time is fulfilled. Number three, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is also referring to Jesus' appearance. This is referring in the sense that he is the Messiah King who has come, and in his coming, the kingdom of God has drawn near, right? So the kingdom of God has drawn near. Essentially, what this means is that men and women, boys and girls, have been confronted with the kingdom, which means the reign of God, the reign of God, the rule of God. He is enthroned on his throne, reigning, complete reign. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says here in his Bible commentary, this is what he says. He says, he, referring to Jesus, highlights that the focus of his mission is to declare and manifest the kingdom of God, the visible manifestation of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he says the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. So God's kingdom has come in Jesus, and his kingdom reigns over all things, everything, over everything. So over our lives, over every body's life in the entire world, over everything in the world, like God reigns, and he reigns supreme. So in light of that, then, how should we respond? How should people respond? Well, the text gives it to us, right? Right after it says, number four, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we respond in light of God's supreme reign by falling to our knees in worship to the, to the only God who is sitting on the throne. So we repent, which means it's a fancy biblical term that just means to turn away from sin. To turn away from the sin that God hates. And then in belief, in belief, which means to put your trust in Christ, to have saving faith in the message of Christ alone. So you repent, you turn away from sin, and then you put your eyes on Christ. You set your eyes on him and what he has done in belief, by faith, by putting all of your eggs in his basket, not anything that you could do, but all in what Christ has done alone. 
if you do that, the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll be saved. So if you, you're here and you haven't believed upon Christ, I want to implore you, I beg you, I plead with you this afternoon to do it. To come to Christ. To repent of your sins. To turn away from your sins. And to believe upon Christ. Agree with God that you are a sinner. Agree with God. Agree with his word that you are a sinner. And that you are in need of saving. And that you and I, none of us, could save ourselves. But God has orchestrated a rescue plan. He orchestrated a rescue plan in his son, Jesus, who came to live the perfect sinless life that you and I can never live, to be treated as a criminal. This is God, the Lord Jesus, treated as a criminal on your behalf and on my behalf. But he did it willingly and willfully. He goes to the cross. And all of your sin and my sin bore in him. On that cross. And he dies. An excruciating death. A gruesome death. The worst kinds of death. As we think about in history. Like being crucified on a cross. Historically. Is one of the worst ways that you could die. Jesus dies that death. That you would not deserve. And he's buried in the grave. And he didn't stay there long. On the third day he was resurrected from the dead. With all power and glory and dominion in him. And because of his perfect sinless life in your place and my place, because of his death in your place and in my place, because of his glorious resurrection from the dead in your place and in my place, the Bible says that you can be and I can be forgiven on the account of Jesus and what he has done for you and me alone. If you put your trust in him. So we want to invite you to that this afternoon. If you don't know him, we want to invite you to know him. Don't leave out of these doors without knowing that you can come to know him today. If you would like to talk more about that, I'm here for that. would love to talk further with you on what that means, what it looks like to, to follow Jesus, to come to know him. would love to talk with you. Sister Nikki, anybody on the, on the worship team, would love to talk with you about that. So come see us after the service. We would love to, to walk with you and what that means. All right. So Jesus proclaims, right? He begins his ministry by preaching the good news. Number two, point number two, Jesus calls the disciples. Jesus calls the disciples. Look back with me at verse 16 through 20, as we'll see the first two disciples, and then we'll see two more disciples later on in the text as well. But first off, Simon and Andrew. He calls Simon and Andrew first. So look back with me at verse 16. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, right? As I was reading this one, one quick observation that, that uh, popped up out of the text for me, and, and some of you all have heard me say this before, but um, when we think about the Great Commission, we think about Matthew 28 in, in 
the Lord Jesus' command for all disciples to go and make disciples. You know, some scholars has, have interpreted that as an as-you-go initiative. So meaning that discipling is an as-you-go type initiative. So meaning as you're, as you're going, right, doing ordinary life in your homes or at your jobs or running errands or at school if you're a student, make disciples in those spheres of influence that you have. So it's a, it's a as you're going. So sometimes, and I used to think this as well, and I'm not saying that, yeah. It's, it's, but I remember uh, sitting in, um, you know, the chapel services at Southeastern Seminary uh, in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and love the school. It's a great commission seminary, um, and, and they make it known, and you hear it all the time. Uh, they tell you to go. And I remember, like, early on as a Christian, I would always, when I would hear that, I would be like, man, like, like you're calling us to, to, to go. So, so discipling is a, is, a, is a go overseas, right, to go overseas. And I remember at that time, I used to wrestle with that um, because across the street, I would see great need, right? In the hood, I would see great need right across the street, and I wrestled with that. And the Lord, the Lord had to, to, you know, through the word and through other brothers and sisters as they walked with me in that, Help me to see it as it's not a one or the other. It's a both and, right? It's a both and. It's a, it's a go to the nations. It's a go overseas. It's a go to unreached people groups. And it's also a staying. It's a go across the street. It's a go next door where you live on your block, in your hood, in your neighborhood. It's a, it's a going in the workplace. It's a going in you know, child care facility, if you're dropping your kids off or whatever the case may be, it's a going everywhere you go, make disciples. So it's a as-you-go initiative. So he calls Simon and Andrew, and just a few more things, thinking about Simon and Andrew. Number one, Jesus saw them, right? You see that in the text? What does it say? It says in verse 16, passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. And Andrew, the brother of Simon, he saw them. This just really struck me as I was studying it this week. Jesus saw them, right? It's it's something about when Jesus sees you. He sees you. And if if I was a a hooping pastor, Brother Peter and Sister Nikki, this would be <laughs> this would be that moment. Then thinking about Jesus saw them, the Son of God, passing along the Sea of Galilee, sees fishermen. He sees them and he calls them. It's something about when the Lord Jesus sees you. It's an amazing thing to think about. I mean, this is God seeing mere men calling them to be in relationship. Something else that we learned, we learned that they are brothers, right? We learned that Simon and Andrew are brothers. It says right there in verse 16 that he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. And this Simon is Peter, right? We know to be the apostle Peter. So he saw Simon, who is Peter, and Andrew. And from the passage, we learned that they are brothers, right? Not only that, we also learned, number three, that they were fishermen. 
right? So it says there, it says, right, they were fishermen at the end of verse 16, for they were fishermen. And what's amazing about that is that Jesus calls people from all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, and all different professions, right? He didn't just call the, the preachers or the worship leaders. He calls people from all different backgrounds, all different professions. That's what's amazing about our God. I even think about, I mean, just look around you in our room. We have a mixture of professions among us, right? We got realtors. We got folks who work in IT. We got folks who work in the government. We got freelance writers. We got folks who work with children and youth and students. And the list can go on and on and on. God saving Jesus, calling people to himself from all different backgrounds. And so these brothers were fishermen. They were fishermen. Then number four, he called them to be disciples who make disciples. Right? You see that in verse 17, it says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Isn't that even amazing, too? Like him seeing what they're doing, their profession, and he uses that language. He's like, man, you out here fishing, right? You out here, you know, catching fish. Like that's, that's the way you're making your living, which is a good thing. But I'm calling you to something greater. I'm calling you fishermen to be fishers of men. So follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. So in verse 17, Jesus first calls them to himself in a salvific sense, in a saving faith sense, calls them to himself. And then those who he called to himself to go and call others. So he tells them to come to me, come to Jesus, come to the Lord Jesus, but then go and call others to come to me as well. So first off, what we learn from this is that, one, you must be a disciple. First off, you must be a disciple. So you can't call someone else to be something that you're not. So if you're not a disciple, you can't call someone to be something that you're not. And then second, Jesus calls them, calls us to be multipliers. Right? He says, I will make you fishers of men, of people. So he calls us to, yeah, be a disciple who makes disciples. Being a multiplier. So the question for us this afternoon, saints, is who are you discipling? Who are we discipling? And then not only that, the second question to that, would it be then, all right, so who are you discipling? Then the second one would be, how are you helping those who you're discipling disciple others? How are you doing that? So how, who are you discipling? Then the folks who you are discipling, how are you helping them disciple others? Those are the questions. And just thinking about our, our congregation, now I'm just encouraged you know, we're coming up on a year in April. It's just amazing to see disciplers among us. People discipling folks. I mean, I just think about think about think about Sister Sean. Think about Sister Sean, Rick's wife, and and how we all need to be like her, man. 
We all need to be like her. She, you know, leading the discipling pod, killing it on that front, leading a weekly Bible study, and et cetera, et cetera. Just, just has a heart for discipleship. Wants to see more women come to know Jesus and be discipled and make disciples. But not only Sister Sean, but shout out to Natasha as well, leading her pod and doing a phenomenal job leading her discipling pod as well. Meeting up with the group regularly, being intentional with them, reading the word with them, praying with them, loving on visitors and being missional. So shout out to Sister Natasha. Shout out to Liz, who is a part of Natasha's group, and how she is reaching out to her neighbors, right? I mean, she had a birthday party yesterday where we were at, and we had a, we had a, a good old time there uh, celebrating her. And, you know, at her birthday party, it was just encouraging to see her neighbors uh, that were there. And, and they were there the last time we were there uh, at a function we had for Thanksgiving, right? We had a Friendsgiving event during the Thanksgiving holiday, and the same neighbors that we met there also at her birthday party. So just, just thinking about, man, the time and intentionality and love and care uh, that Liz is putting in with her neighbors. It's encouraging. It's a joy to see that. I even think about my wife also being intentional with ladies in our church and, and even with us moving to the house we're at now, right, where we live now, even her starting to build with some of the ladies on our block connecting, getting to know, and seeking to build with the ladies on our block. And there's so many more examples of the women of our church being faithful evangelists and discipling and so forth and so forth. But I can't leave out the fellas. It's only three of us. We holding it down. That, you know, that, that'll change, and, you know, at some point. We'll have, we'll, have a, we'll have another fella or two or so uh, <laughs> coming, into, coming into the fold. But we, too, by God's grace, are seeking to be intentional with one another, to enjoy meeting up with these brothers on a monthly basis, to connect uh, and, and do life together and read the word together, read a book together and, and chop it up in that way. And, and then also these brothers and, and us seeking to, to reach the brothers in our spheres, right? It's been, it's been in, encouraging uh, to, to see that and to know that. So this is our mission as a church. This is our mission as a church to make disciples. Matthew 28, to, to make disciples. So our mission statement as a church is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ among our neighbors and throughout the nations. This is who we are as a church. Our mission as a church that's rooted in Matthew 28 and also the great commandment, Matthew 22. So everything that we do should flow from that mission and point back to that mission. May we never become laxed on that. May we never become lax on that, family. That ultimately, Matthew 28 is for all Christians, right? All of us, no matter our background, no matter our profession, all called to make disciples. Souls are at stake. Souls are at stake. Maybe not become laxed on this job that God has given all of us to be about making disciples in our home, to 
be about making disciples in our workplaces, in our schools, and so forth and so forth, and everywhere we go. May we never become lax on that. Number five, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. It says in verse 18, it says, and immediately, and last week we saw this word in the text, that immediately word, that's a sense of urgency type word, right? So, and immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They left their nets and they followed him. So we see that as the Lord Jesus called them, as they heard the call, they dropped their nets. They dropped what they were doing, and they followed him. And the same is true for us who have trusted Christ for salvation, right? At the moment of conversion, at that moment, we immediately left the lives we once had for a life better than the one we could ever imagine. A life better than what we could ever imagine. So for those of you who haven't trusted Jesus yet or are on the fence, This is the cost of discipleship. This is the cost that you must give up your life for a better life. And that's a life following Jesus. Luke 9.23 says it this way. This is the Lord Jesus talking. He says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So denying yourself meaning that you must deny your way of thinking for Jesus' way of thinking. You deny your way of doing things for Jesus' way of doing things. You can't follow Jesus and still think you're going to have it your way. This isn't Burger King. You're not going to have it your way. Like, Jesus is Lord. He is Savior. So when you deny yourself, you're denying everything about you. You are seeking to to live for him. Taking up your cross daily meaning an everyday reminder of the suffering of Christ and how in him we bear our crosses daily as a reminder of our suffering in him. But not only our suffering in him, but the glory that we will experience on that day. So when Christ was walking the cross on his back, even as Hebrews tells us, for the glory that was set before him, despising the shame, he went to the cross. There's glory for us, Christians. There's glory that we're going to experience. Amen? We're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. So our crosses that we're bearing, the suffering, The challenges that we are experiencing in this life are not even in comparison to the glory that is ahead of us. So may we continue to suffer well. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not tough. It is. But may God continue to give us grace and strength to suffer well. Suffer well, family. Knowing, and this is how you do it, I'm an expert. I'm just saying this is how we, we think about it. When you suffer well, you, you, you be reminded of the glory that is ahead of you, that this ain't it. 
this is not our home. What we are experiencing now will not always be. It will not always be. We're going to be with him for all of eternity. Worshiping him. For his goodness, for his mercy, for his grace. May we keep our minds, may we keep our eyes set on the glory that is ahead of us as we suffer now in the present. Amen? And then lastly, as you see, it says, follow me. Follow him. So you follow him, follow the leader. Jesus is the leader. Not yourself, not anyone else. Follow him. Follow him. Love how Luke 14, 25 through 33 puts it. Let me just sip this real quick as I read this passage. I love how Luke 14 puts it in thinking about the cost of discipleship. In verse 25 it says, Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Continues on in verse 27, he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, would not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So hate here isn't referring to hate in the way that the world, that the world uses it, right? It's not referring to like when you hate someone enough that you don't rock with them anymore. Like you don't, you don't want to be friends with them anymore. You wish ill will on them. No, this is referring to a lesser love. This is referring to a lesser love. Not, not hate in the way that you hate somebody to wish death on them or anything like that. But it's referring to a lesser love. Meaning, your love for Jesus should outweigh your love for family. Or anything. Your love for Jesus should outweigh your love for your own family and what he's saying here in this text, if it doesn't, then you can't be his disciple. You can't be his disciple. Then he gives this illustration in verses 27 through 31, essentially challenging us to weigh the cost, right? So salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. Your life. It costs you your life, my life. So we must weigh the cost. And then if you look at verse 33 that I just read from Luke 14, it says we are called to renounce everything. 
we're called to renounce everything. Renounce meaning which means to give up everything, to give it up, to renounce everything that we have to follow Jesus. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, Jesus is calling you to give up everything, but gain something better or someone better, himself, himself. Give up everything for someone better, Jesus. So for the Christians in the room, though, we know that this is a daily thing, right? This is a, a daily call to deny self. Like we did it at conversion, but it's a daily thing. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, daily. Do this daily. We are to die daily, to take up our crosses and follow him daily. We are to daily renounce all to follow him. The question is, are we? Are we doing this daily? Are we doing this daily? Are there some secret sins that you're coddling with? Some secret sins that you're, 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 you're coddling with? That you, 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 you still, you know, like Jesus has saved you from it. And he, you know, provides the strength and grace for you to avoid it. But you still, you know, like it. You still want to go to it. You're kind of coddling it in some ways. Some things that you have given up to follow Jesus, but it's this one thing that you're finding it hard to give up to fully follow him. Is that you? Is that me? Is that us? You feel like if you give it up that you'll lose something dear to you. Again, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it, y'all. Give it up. And as you give it up, then continue to give it up. Give it up. And what you gain in knowing Jesus and living for Jesus and ultimately being with him for all of eternity, nothing can compare to that. Nothing can compare to that. Whatever that thing is or those things are, they're not worth it in comparison to who Jesus is. When you put them on the scale, Jesus outweighs it all the time. It ain't worth it. Give it up. Continue to give it up. Kill it. Die to it. And continue to live for, for Jesus. Know him more. Live for him more. He is worth it. So then we continue on in the passage where we are in chapter 1 of Mark. And we see James and John are also called. So we had, you know, Simon and Andrew who were called. And then we see two other disciples that were called, James and John. So it's very much a similar flow. So what we see, you know, in Simon and them being called as well. So similar flow to Jesus' ministry of discipleship with James and John. Look back with me at verse 19. It says in verse 19, it says, In going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were, who were in the boat, in their boat, excuse me, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So some points are very much similar to what I just walked through with you in the first disciples that Jesus saw them. Number two, they were brothers. We see that in the text. They were also fishermen. They were also doing fishing work as well as we see that in verse 19. In verse 20, they were called by Jesus, right? And then number five, in similar fashion, they left everything to follow him. 
They left everything to follow him. Y'all, they left they left their daddy, yo. They left their daddy to follow him. Left their daddy. Left their boat with the hired servants. And they followed him. No questions. They followed him. So we too, if you are a follower of Jesus, we too, as hard as it has have been or has been, we too left family, right? We left family. We left friends. We left even some careers that we might have hoped for to follow Jesus. We left, uh, yeah, we, we, we left, you know, some fame that we might have had or thought we had, you know what I mean? We left whatever it might have been for the sake of following Christ, and it was worth it. Amen? It was worth it. I mean, I even think about for students in the room, college students or high school students or little children in the room. If you have already followed Christ or, or we pray that you will follow Christ, you, you may lose some friends. We may have already lost some friends for taking a stand to follow Jesus. But he is worth it. He is worth it. You, you may lose friends. You may lose family. You may lose some popularity or whatever. But what you gain is a family of brothers and sisters. What you gain is Jesus. And he is worth it. I remember just a personal example, and then we'll close. I remember when the Lord saved me in 2007. I was fresh off the streets. Uh, so some of you all who know my story know that, yeah, you know, I grew up in the church, never lived it. My mom was the only Christian in the home. And my dad had older siblings, but my, my mom was the only Christian in the home. Uh, she experienced a lot of health challenges when I was growing up. And uh, she passed when I was 13. And so I was going right into high school, um, and she passed. And at that time, I was playing ball. I was hooping all the time. That was my love. I wanted to make it to the league and all that jazz. And I started hanging around the wrong crowd. And then when she passed, that just kind of basically catapulted me into sin even more. I just started wilding out in response to my mom's passing. But then also, I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be accepted. And so from age 13 to 19, that's what I did. I just, I just, I just started wilding out, uh, you know, smoking, drinking, fighting all the time, you know, trying to live this hard, you know, lifestyle, this hood lifestyle, selling drugs, doing all these different things. I was wilding out 13 to 19. Ended up getting kicked out of high school. Um, ended up having to leave my hometown to move to Raleigh. So I'm from Edenton. Um, for those of you all know where that's at, it's a small town in, in North Carolina. So left Edenton to move to Raleigh, and that was in the Lord's redemptive plan to save me. Moved in with my aunt and uncle, uh, and my uncle was an elder at the time, so I'm back around the church scene, back in it, still not there yet. Then, so this is like 2006, then a year later, 2007, I reconnect with an old friend of mine. He shares the gospel with me. It floors me. I do a 180. I mean, I stop everything that I was doing. And I turned to Christ, and in doing so, all my homeboys were like, yo, what are you doing? They were like, you giving up this? For what? Like, we were, you know, like, making money. I mean, like, we were, we were getting it. We were getting it in. 
making money. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was hood famous, whatever that is. And and literally was trying to get after it. And so when when Jesus saved me, folks looked at me funny. They were like, what is this? One, they thought it was fake. They thought it wasn't real, you know, maybe based on some of the experiences they had and some of the experience we've had, right, and seeing, you know, when we were not Christians, seeing some folks who we were like, they said they walked with God, but they might be in the club with us, you know, wilding out or doing things, da 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 And so they thought it was fake. But over time, over time, as I continued to live it out, uh, they, they saw that it was, it was real and it was genuine. They clowned me a lot. They had the Jesus jokes all the time when I would come around. But in the end, I might have lost, you know what I mean, some of that, like, that friendship or the friendship, how we once had it and how we were once hanging and cooling and chilling. But in the end, because of a faithful life, and once again, it's not anything that, yeah, not in my own strength. Like, the Lord helped me and continues to help me. But they respected it. They respected it. They respected it, and I'm sure that's the case for a lot of you all here. In old relationships that you have, and some relationships that you might still have, and friends that, you know, knew you growing up, saw you in the streets, or saw you wherever you was at, or whatever you were doing, and weren't following Jesus, but then you, you turn to Christ, and you follow him, or students, you follow him, and they might clown you for a little bit, and they might do this, that, and the third. They might, they might, you know, stay away from you a little bit because they know when you come around, you're going to give them Jesus, and that's okay. It's good. But in the end, they may respect you. They, they respect you. They, they, they see genuineness. They see love. And by God's grace, we pray that that might win them over. That they might see genuine love. They might see someone like us imperfectly living it out but seeking to be fake. And so I just want to encourage us all Let's continue to seek to live for Jesus in all of the spheres that we are in and make much of him. And, and the friends or the family and others who we might experience some different, you know, I mean, challenges with or, you know, different conversations that we might have, we continue to love them well. We continue to show them Christ. We continue to share Christ. And we continue to trust that God do a work in them as he has done a work in us. Can we do that? And may he get all the glory for it. Let's pray. Worship team, as you come, let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for, once again, it's time to, yeah, hear from you and, uh, Worship you through your word. I pray, God, that you would use it how you see fit, Lord. That you would continue to use it, Lord, as we leave from here and go into the work week. I pray uh, that you would help us to apply it in every way that you see fit. I pray, God, that you would continue to grow us and shape us in your image. Make us more like Jesus. Help us to live more like him. Help us to look more like him as a result. Help us to rely on him for everything. We love him. We love 
everything about you, God. And we pray, yeah, we pray that you would be pleased with us, with our lives, with what we do. As we've been thinking about your ministry, Lord Jesus, when you were here on earth, you preached the gospel. May we be faithful gospel proclaimers this week, God. As we see, Lord, in your example, and you modeling, you calling others to follow you. May we be faithful witnesses this week, God, in calling others to follow you. And would you help us, Lord, to, to yeah, make disciples who make disciples. We want to see multiplication happen throughout this church and throughout Congress Heights, throughout this city and throughout the world, Lord. Multitudes of people coming to know you and living for you. Would you do it for your glory, for our joy, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.